we really need in a sea of churches? Another church? I don't think so. I think what we need is a movement of God. Brace for impact. Good morning, Impactors. How are you doing? That was sweet, sweet worship this morning. By the way, going is telling me how you're doing. How are you really doing? If you're not doing that good, we'll get there today. We'll get there because today I'm going to talk about the fact, not fiction, but fact that I think all over planet Earth. How many people are there now? Seven billion? Eight billion? I've lost count. Anybody know around? Rounding to the nearest billion or so. How many people are on planet Earth? Quick, quick, quick. Four? I don't think that's right. How many? Wow, I know. It's seven plus billion. And if I wait for you guys, it's going to be a longer sermon than it already is going to be. Well, lately I've seen that they fall into, this is not perfect, but this is pretty close. They fall into about three categories. In fact, I think in America, one of those categories blows the other ones away. I think it's huge. Or so we think. And it's the good. Now, I know some of you are sitting back going, and what about the righteous, and what about me? Well, if you think you're okay, you're probably in the good category. If you think, well, I don't think I'm really great or anything. I'm just a really, you're probably in the good category. You'll see in a moment, you're going to fall into one of these. And uh, today, you don't have to stay in, one, in the one you don't like. You can move to the one you'd rather be in and be seen completely as a transformed, different person. Now, just so you don't have to take the blunt of this, I will, I will sacrifice the Singleton family. How's that? I will put our own family forward first and say that we've struggled with this, this good and bad and ugly, and we shift roles sometimes. Mostly it's me who's the ugly one in the family. And, you know, I don't mean ugly physically, although some of you are going, but no, I could see it. No, I mean ugly as in, a, you know, sometimes we can act ugly, you know. Sometimes we could just be plain bad, and sometimes we can think we're good, too good for everybody else. So about seven years ago, the Singleton family went on a vacation, and it really reared its, its ugly head when we were on that vacation. It all came to a head while we were at a dude ranch in the wild, wild west. Take a look. All right, see, so it's not just the world out there. It's a Singleton family, too. The first service, they're like, how come there wasn't much of the ugly? Because I'm not ugly anymore. I've transformed. I'm not in that category. And that's the last time probably that we're going to laugh at that because it's really not a laughing matter if you find yourself in one of these in one of these herds, to use Wild West speak, the good herd, the bad herd, or the ugly herd, because they're false herds. What they believe about themselves are lies that the evil one tells us. Let me come about it differently because maybe some of you think you're not even part of a herd. Have you ever felt like you're part of a herd? Have you ever been at anything, done anything where you're like, man, I'm just following everybody else? Raise your hand if you've ever had that feeling. All right, that's mostly, but it's not all of you. Anybody go to Clemson here? Good, then I can pick on Clemson. I didn't see anything. Because they're always, I mean, it might be that you've gone to a college where everybody wears orange, right? And everybody has that paw on there. And, and you go to a game and everybody does the same thing. Ever been to a football game where people do the wave? Have you people ever been out the front door of your house? All right, well, that's a herd thing, isn't it? The way, how about you ever been to a concert? They don't do this so much anymore because even the herd broke away from this. Ever been to a concert where they go, everybody wave your hand in the air like you just don't care? You ever been to it? 
By the way, wouldn't a more apathetic statement be to not raise your hand in the air like you don't care? That's free. Just throwing that in there. If you do that, that's a herd mentality. Well, the people that followed Jesus, gang, often had a herd mentality, and it's sad. I mean, sometimes crowds of 10, 15, even 20,000 would follow Jesus, but only one or two, sometimes, like I said, just one, would break away and make it personal with Jesus. A lot of times, though, people are just following the stuff that Jesus gave or the miracles that Jesus did or the things, the truths that he taught that they thought were cool, but the Jesus stuff, but not Jesus. You know, it's kind of like worshiping the creation, but forgetting all about the creator. And I know that it's not cut and dry with these categories, but hopefully you'll see, because we don't have a lot of time, i gotta, I got to just beat this one home, that probably there are some people that are in the herd, and they know it, and they don't want to be there. Probably even back then, there's people that wanted to have a personal encounter with Jesus, but they looked at the crowds and probably thought, well, it's not really possible. So they made no effort. Although we can see when people make effort throughout the New Testament, they meet him. They see him. Some might have thought it's just too hard to get close. And some might have thought, you know, I could take it or leave it. If the opportunity presents itself, I'll meet Jesus. If not, you know, I'll just take the Jesus stuff, and I'll probably be fine. Then there are those who think their life is probably so bad that they don't really want to be noticed. They'll skim around the edges, and they'll take what Jesus has, but they're hoping to fly under the radar in their life. They don't really want to stick out. They don't want God to notice them. They'll get in, I'm sure. If he doesn't notice, they'll just follow the herd of supposedly good people on in. But if he notices, he might not like what he sees. Whatever the reason, it's really a tragedy because the Jesus they think they, they, they want to meet or could take or leave, the generic plastic Jesus, is not the real Jesus. The one we've created is kind of aloof and disconnected. And we haven't made it personal because if we made it personal, we know he's not like that. And if we haven't made it personal, it's a real shame because one day it's going to haunt us because we'll realize that only those who have made it personal and have connected with him and have received his free gift of salvation our adopted sons and daughters of the living king. An incredible gift, but you've got to make it personal. So, hurts. Since you're not there yet, here's what Wikipedia, the ever-trustworthy Wikipedia says about her behavior. Her behavior describes how individuals in a group can act together without planned direction. I mean, the herd doesn't get together and say, here's what we're going to do. They just find themselves doing it. The term pertains to the behavior of animals, usually herds, flocks, and schools, demonstrations, riots. You like how they just go with human things after that? considering humans to be animals. And general strikes, sporting events, you see it, religious gatherings, you see it, episodes of mob violence, everyday decision-making, judgment, opinion. For, herd mentalities are everywhere, according to Wikipedia. Now, some of you going, that's great. Well, let me tell you why this should matter. Let me tell you why this is huge. And actually, this should make a difference to every one of us. Because John 1.12 says this, as many as received him, Jesus, in other words, to all those who made it personal, to all those who broke away from the herd and came after Jesus, that's kind of the Rob Singleton paraphrase, to all them, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, to those who trust him. So you see how important it is to make it personal? The difference between the herd and those who make it personal is the difference between being separated from God for all eternity or being adopted as a son or daughter of the living king. So I meant what I said earlier this morning that I found that though there are billions of people on this earth, they kind of fall into three categories. Good herd, the bad herd, the ugly herd. And some people, this is the last disclaimer, and then we're going to get to three herd mentalities this morning. Here's a disclaimer. Some people think I'm not, I don't think I'm too good, Pastor. I know I'm not that bad. 
and I, I don't think I'm ugly, so I'm kind of neutral. There is no neutral. Let's just get that straight. There is no herd where you're kind of, you know, pretty good, but you're not calling yourself good, and you realize you're not perfect because you're going to be neutral. You're not going to make a decision about God, but you're not against him either because Jesus said you're either for me or against me. There is no middle ground. So let's just eliminate that herd altogether. But there is another group, and I would like to ask a favor of that fourth group. That group is those that are adopted sons and daughters of the living king. If you're saved today, would you pray for those around you? Because you don't know everybody that's here. In our first service, there was probably half this group here. Nine people gave their lives to Christ this morning. So I'm hoping that he will move again. And I know that he will. And I don't think those people came in knowing they were lost. And some of you may be right now feeling pretty comfortable. I hope to make you uncomfortable in the next 15 minutes or so. One more disclaimer. Now, I'll let you get this one on your own. You seem like a sharper group than the first one. All right, let's go. You brought your Bibles? We're going to start with the good. Turn to John chapter 3, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Quickly turn there, John chapter 3. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. My second favorite is John chapter 4. They're right next to each other. And John 3, 16 is a verse that, even if you don't call yourself a Christian, you probably have seen this thing. It's the most popular verse in the Bible. Well, let's start at the beginning, John 3, 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Quickly, I want you to know about this guy. He's good. By any standards, he's good. He's like the Pope of his day. He's a Pharisee, which means that he was an influential man in religious circles in Jesus' time. He's also a member, uh, we learn elsewhere in Scripture, of the Jewish sect called the Sanhedrin. So he was very, very influential. He probably had some wealth as well, so he was not poor. People looked up to him. Neighbors idolized him. He would have been the person to go to if you want to know how to live life and to get right with God. And Nicodemus was an influential, powerful man who, despite all that, came to Jesus one night to ask him questions. And this is highly unusual. Let's find out why. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. So check this out. He's got one foot in each world. He doesn't want to quite give, he doesn't want to quite give up the fact that he's looked at and respected as a good person. So he comes at night because he doesn't want his religious friends to know he's come to Jesus. But he wants to come to Jesus because he doesn't feel secure and he's got questions and they're huge. Even though the common man was to go to Nicodemus to find out if they're all right and if they're on the right track and if they go to heaven, turns out Nicodemus doesn't know if he's going to heaven. Nicodemus doesn't know if he's on the right track. So despite his position of wealth and popularity with the people, he had some big questions. This really, really good guy is going to find out. He's about to find out he's bad to the bone. He knew in his heart that there was no certainty whatsoever that he'd end up in heaven. And he longed for that. I want to know. Can't I know? So he comes to Jesus, but he comes at night because he loves his good reputation. And yet the pain is getting too much to bear. Got that? One foot in both worlds. So let me say this again. So you get this, just so you know he's firmly rooted in the good category. He is a leader among leaders in the religious world, a teacher, a scholar, a counselor, an all-around great guy, and also bad to the bone. Yeah, Pastor Rob, I'm hearing all this. I'm not getting the bad part. I mean, you haven't said anything about him that's bad. Why are you saying he's bad to the bone? Well, actually, it's not my idea. I got that from God. Here's where I got it. God says, well, actually, I want... I want to see if you guys can get it. Let's take a poll. Can we do that? How many of you, by show of hands, would say that there's probably more good people in the world than bad? Show your, raise your hands. 
Okay, we got a few in that category. Let me give it a percentage. I'm, I'm going to play with this a little bit. How many would say it's about 80-20? 80% of the world's pretty good, and 20 is really right bad. Raise your hands. Let me see. All right, that's a good chunk of people. How many are not that optimistic? So you would say, I think it's 50-50. 50% of the people are bad to the bone, and 50% are okay, and they're pretty good, whatever. Let me see that. Is that a bigger group? That's a way bigger group. How many are just facetious and cynical and go, I've flipped that thing around? I'd say 20% of the people might be good. About 80% of this world is low-life, down, ugly people. How many would be there? You guys are, you are facetious. You're just, a, you're just a judgmental crowd. Look at you. How many of you would be, let's go extreme. How many of you would say, I don't think that's true at all. I think man is basically, 99% of the world's good. They're just some oddballs. Anybody say that? Like one or two. How many would flip that? How many would say, I think like 99% are bad to the bone, and only one or 2% are good? That's actually a strange big group. All right. I have an award. I had a brand new car for the winter, but you all lost. Yes. Alas, I will bring it back in 10 years. Here it is. God says in Romans 3.12, ready for this? Here's the percentage. No one does good, not even one. So it's 100% bad, 0% good. Can I tell you why we have the problem? Because remember the three groups I just told you about? The three herds, by far the biggest one, the biggest perception of the biggest one in this country is by far the good herd, the good. And yet Jesus says, well, that actually doesn't exist. So more millions and millions of people think they're in a category that doesn't exist. Now, in case that's not enough for you, Romans also tells another place in Romans 3.23, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Something on that's New Testament. I want some Old Testament. Good. Isaiah 53, 6 says all. There's that word again. It's hard to get around. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon Jesus, upon him, the iniquity, the sin of us all. Now, God says no one's good. But for the most part, the pseudo good crowd doesn't really care. I mean, when they hear, well, the Bible says that no one's good, they go, you know what, that, that's just the Bible. I don't believe all the Bible because I look around and I clearly I'm better than a murderer. Clearly I'm better than my neighbor who's, you know, cheated on his wife and done all this stuff. I don't do that. And so we tend to have a rating system and go, you know what, I don't, I don't believe that. I think I'm going to be fine on that day. I think I'm a good person. You're wrong. But we even hear God say this and we say, well, I have an argument with Almighty God. I don't agree. So yes, most people, if they feel like they're going to heaven, and most people will say yes, or at least I hope so. But they will also invariably base it on the erroneous assumption that they are a good person. So we got to blow that out of the water this morning, because there is no such group. So even when eternity is on the line, unfortunately, perception is still king, and most people say, I don't care if you say this is an eternal thing. I'm a good person. Don't judge me, lest you be judged. All right, so we have this category where some think they are too good to need God. That's a dangerous category. Some categories are just silly, like some people that think that they're too sexy for their shirt. Remember that song? Some people are too cool for school. That's just lame, but it's not something that's going to hurt you. But this category will if you think you're too good for God. Because there in your notes in this first category, letter A says, you can't be too good to approach Jesus. If you want to be adopted as a son or a daughter of the living king, you cannot. the first thing is you can't be too good. 
to come to Jesus. Nicodemus had been told all his life, what a good boy you are, Nicodemus. Look at the family you're coming in. You're so well behaved. What a good young man you are, Nicodemus. What a good student you are, Nicodemus. Look at how good you're doing with the Torah. What a good ruler you are, Nicodemus. What a good faithful religious man you are, Nicodemus. And yet he's not even buying it. He says, I hear the words from everybody. They've put me at the top of this category. Why don't I feel good? Why do I feel scared about my own destiny? So we look at that and we go, you know, I might not be as good as Nicodemus. I might not be as good as Mother Teresa. I'm not saying I'm Billy Graham, but I, I think, you know, I've given God a try. I kick the tires. I go to church sometimes. I read the Bible. I've, I've tried prayer and all that. But when you do, let me ask you this. Are you like most people who try God but still expect when God answers, he's just going to tell me that I'm okay? I ex I'm going to come to God and I'm going to try prayer and I'm going to try to read the Word. And what I feel like I'm going to get, you have a pre, yeah, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I feel like God's going to say, you know what? I've looked around. You're okay. Well, when Nicodemus came to Jesus that night, I don't think he knew he was lost. I don't think he knew he was lost. I think he was expecting to say, for Jesus to say, you know what? You just got to tweak a few things. You just got to fix a couple things. But you're okay. Right here, you need a little tweak. Right there, you need a little tweak. Then you're all right. Get a thumbs up from God. But Nicodemus was more like the boy who got separated from his parents in a large shopping center. And security quickly located the child. And they took him to an office while the frantic parents were paged over the public address system. Some of you had this scary experience. And one of the security guards got a large ice cream cone for the boy and gave it to him. So when his parents arrived at the office, there was their little son happily eating his ice cream. And suddenly, parents with tears and screams, they, they ran to him and embraced him, and the child burst into tears. And the security guard was going to blow away. He's laughing, and he said to the other one, man, I guess he didn't know he was lost until he was found. Think about it. This little boy is perfectly happy, but he actually was lost. He just didn't know until he saw the faces of his parents and saw the panic and thought, I, I was in a bad place. Well, Nicodemus is a lot more like that little boy than anything else, than some leader, some knowledgeable person. And Jesus is going to have to take him back to elementary, simple stuff. So I'm sure when Nicodemus came to Jesus, he thought, it's just, I'm just going to get some confirmation. I'll be all right. But I am a little restless. Jesus can probably help me. He seems to be in tune. And isn't that what he said? We know you're from God because of the signs you do. So I think I got a good in. Let me ask you, and I'm sure I'll go away feeling better. Instead, he's feeling worse at the beginning of this conversation. By the time he left Jesus, though, I guarantee he knew he was lost. And then let her see for the good group is you can't be too good to listen, okay? So you can't be too good to approach Jesus. You can't be too good to ask questions. That's the second thing he did. He came and he said, you know, what do I need to do? Good teacher. But then the last thing is you can't be too good to sit there and listen. You ever seen somebody who comes and asks questions? They act like they want to know the answer, but then they start talking right over you. Because then they'll tell you, well, I already know, and here's what it, I mean, they've already got the answer. They're hearing what they want to hear. Well, you can't be like that, especially if you're coming out of this good category, this good herd group. If you won't listen to what God really has to say, you will never break away from this herd. The truth is God does have something vitally important to say to those who think they're good enough. He says, you are just as lost as the worst sinner because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, everyone, not some, not even most, all. Now I want to take a look at another encounter Jesus had. This one is with a notorious sinner. Turn to the next chapter, John 4. Almost everybody in here has probably heard of the Good Samaritan. 
Maybe you don't, haven't heard of the bad Samaritan. This is the bad Samaritan. John 4, 3 through 4. He, Jesus, left Judea, and he departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. You know, that's not true. He didn't have to pass through Samaria. Where the Samaritans lived, which is kind of obvious. Like Charlotteans live in Charlotte. Samaritans live in Samaria. But see, the Jews usually didn't pass through Samaria. And Jews from the south where Judea is, if they wanted to go to the north where Galilee is, they would go around Samaria in the middle. You know why? Because hundreds of years earlier, when the Jews were taken into captivity by the Assyrians, some of them eventually, after generations, just broke down, and, and if you can't beat them, join them, and they started intermarrying with the Assyrians. And the children they have, the Jews thought of them as half-breeds. Those were Samaritans. And when they resettled the land, the Samaritans came back, and the Jews had no respect for them. In fact, to say someone was a Samaritan for the Jew back then was like a cuss word. Racist? Yeah. Wrong? Yeah. True? Yes, it happened. And so usually a good Jew traveling to Galilee from Judea would go around, even if it took three to five days longer to go around. So when it says Jesus had to go through Samaria, he didn't have to, not physically. He could have gone around. But according to the will of his father, he had an appointment. And that trumps anything. And his father said, go, I have some lost sheep for you to bring home. So because of that, he had to go through Samaria. Let's pick up the story. Verses 7 through 10. A woman from Samaria came to the well where Jesus stopped to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So in case you don't take my word for it, it says, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Some of your Bibles say the Jews have nothing to do with Samaritans. So I didn't, can't make this stuff up. It's the way it was. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God that exists and you knew who it was you're talking to, you would actually ask me for water and I'd give you a different kind of water. I'd give you living water to drink and you'd never thirst again. And you know what this woman does? She goes, let me debate with you about religion. In our area, we, we worship like this as Samaritans, and the Jews worship like this. I see that you're a Jew. Well, who's right? And she gets into a religious debate with the Son of God. It's kind of a debate that Nicodemus tried to get in. And each time, Jesus is not going to be drawn into it. His mission is to seek these people out and to bring them home. He wants to bring this daughter of the king, his future daughter, home, not debate religion with her. So just like Nicodemus, she's lost too. But unlike Nick, sitting there with an ice cream cone and feeling good and not knowing it. She's sitting there without an ice cream cone, shunned by her people, knowing she's bad. And you'll see why in a moment. The Samaritan woman, she's never named, but it's clear that she's shunned from people. She's been married and divorced five times. Now she lives with a guy. She's a very loose woman. She's here in the middle of the day to draw water. Women always came in the, in the cool of the early dawn or at night. They didn't come in the middle of the day because in the Middle East, it gets really hot. Why did she come in the middle of the day alone? Because people don't like her. And she's tired of being ridiculed. She knows she's bad. So she doesn't need to be reminded of it day in and day out. She's already given into that. I'm bad. I'll be who I am. So she comes in the middle of the day. Doesn't need to be reminded. And Jesus wants to reach out to her, despite the fact that Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. But you know what reaching out to this woman's going to be like? It's sort of like if you love pets and you want to rescue a dog and you see a junkyard dog, pit bull that's mean and growling, good luck. If you try to rescue that dog, be prepared to lose a hand. 
be prepared to get bit a few times before that dog changes. If you want to try and rescue this woman, be prepared for a fiery assault and debate. Is that what she's going to get? Because she's been hurt, and hurt people hurt people. It's just true. Nevertheless, she's got a role to play in this. Jesus will not force his salvation on anyone. He's going to try and draw her out, but she's got to come. You know what a lot of people who feel bad about themselves do when they see someone who they think is better than them coming along? They run. They run. And you can't do that if you want to have an encounter with the king. So the first letter for this group is you can't be too bad to stay put. You can't be so bad that you won't stay put. You, you might feel like running. You might feel like you're really bad, but you've got to stay there and talk to Jesus or you'll never know. You'll never know. Those who feel they are too bad miss out on one of the most beautiful truths in all of Scripture, and that is that Jesus, that God actually came to seek and to save those that were lost. He came to seek and to save sinners. Mark 2.17 says, those who are well have no need of a doctor. They have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, in other words, those who know they're sick, I came not to call the well, not to come the right, call the righteous. By the way, that, not to call those who think they're righteous, but sinners. Why? It's easy to give medicine to someone who's dying. It's hard to give it to someone who's not convinced they're sick. It doesn't refer only to those who have sinned, this verse here. Don't take it that way. The Bible makes it clear that everyone's a sinner. Now, Jesus is referring to those who are sinners and know darn well they're sinners. They know it. You don't have to tell them. Every day they're reminded. Every day they're reminded. she's reminded because she has to go in the heat of the day. Because if she goes in the morning, people will laugh at her, scoff at her. Every day she's reminded because if she enters a room and everybody goes quiet, she knows that they were talking about her. If she starts to round a corner and everybody's laughing and then they stop, she knows that they were laughing about her. Every day she's reminded. She needs no reminder that she's bad. She knows she's bad. But despite all the differences between her and somebody like a Nicodemus who thinks he's good, there's a lot of similarities too. First, let's look at the differences because I think it's, it, it's an awesome study to do sometime to see the different approaches Jesus takes to reach people. First, Nicodemus was a man. Obviously, the Samaritan was a woman. Nicodemus was a good religious man, or so he thought. The Samaritan woman was an immoral woman. Nicodemus was named. The woman at the well, guess what we call her? The woman at the well. Anybody know her name? Quick, what's her name? We don't know her name. She is never named in Scripture. Famous, and one day when we get to heaven, I, I, when I get there, I can't wait to find out what her name is. And brothers and sisters in Christ, when we get there, we'll know who she is, but she's not even named here. Nicodemus is a calm contemplator. This woman, like I said, is a fiery debater. Jesus speaks to Nicodemus in the cool of the night. Jesus speaks with a Samaritan woman in the heat of the day. Nicodemus initiates the conversation with Jesus. Jesus initiates the conversation with this woman who's shunned. Nicodemus was a respected ruler. She's a social outcast, pariah. Nicodemus was rich. She's poor. We could go on and on and on. But they're so different, but they're similar. You see, for they both are encouraged to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ because that's the same answer, no matter what herd mentality you come from. The approach is different, but the answer is the same. To trust in Jesus Christ. Rich people get saved, gang, the same way that poor people do. Men get saved the same way that women do. Popular and respected people, they get saved the same way that nobodies and outcasts do. And good people get saved the same way that bad people do. Each just has to realize their lost condition. 
and make it personal with the Savior. I think it's much harder for the good person. It's much harder for the good person who thinks they're good enough. So the bad person needs to know that they can't be too bad. This letter be in your notes for Jesus to still love them. You can't be too bad. You got to know this for Jesus to still love you. In fact, Scripture says you can't outsin God's grace and love. In Romans 5.20, Paul wrote to the Romans, God's law was given so that you'd know where you stand. People would know how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. So let's continue with this. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water every day from this well. And what Jesus does next seems cruel. So please don't miss it because it's not cruel, but it's very necessary. She's there, right? She's ready to be saved. He, he says there's living water. She says she wants it. Game over, right? No. This is like people that maybe have raised their hand for salvation or walked down an aisle or stood up or something or said a prayer and didn't mean it. She's not there because without conviction, there can be no conversion. Write that down. Without conviction, there can be no conversion. It can't happen. So Jesus is going to have to dig a little bit and make it hurt pour some salt in there to get her to the right place. So he says, I've got living water, and you'd ask for that. She says, I want this water, so I won't have to come. She doesn't quite get it. So Jesus says, all right, then go get your husband. That seems cruel, doesn't it? Because he knows that she's been married and divorced five times. She says, well, I don't. She tries to keep it simple and get around. I don't, I don't have a husband. I'm, I'm not married. And Jesus is going to dig a little bit further, but it's necessary. He said, you've said that. That's true. You're not married, but you have been. Five times in divorce. And the one you're living with now, that's not your husband. Doesn't that seem cruel? Doesn't seem like Jesus just, okay, thank you very much. I thought there was going to be some hope here. Now her hope is going down. Now she's convicted about her lifestyle. And now it's time to strike. And that's when Jesus strikes with love and mercy and grace. When we start to go down, it's sort of like opening a parachute when you're falling at 200 miles an hour and then you go up. God's grace grabs you. Says, but, but listen, despite all that, I just needed you to know your condition. You are lost. Yes, you are. You're, you're hanging off a cliff. But take my hand. I'm going to bring you home. That's when he says, I love you anyway. I already knew that. And she knew that he knew it miraculously. And his love and mercy hits right when the pain is there. That's because he knows there can be no conversion without conviction. Let's keep going. So he offers her this, and she embraces it. The end of the story is the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Now, I don't think before this encounter she would have wanted to do that. Hey, you know how bad I am? You don't know the half of it. This guy really knows how bad I am. Come, and he'll tell you the whole story. No, that's not it. She's saying, come, this man miraculously knew everything, and she doesn't care anymore because she's been rescued. She's made it personal. Could this be the Christ? And they followed her, and they went out of town and were coming to him. And it said almost everybody in the town believed. And that's the coolest thing about the bad. Let her see. It can't be too bad to be used by God to do good. It can't be too bad to be used by God to do good. She reaches the entire town for Jesus, this shunned woman. Amazing. Finally, there's a category that nobody wants to be in, but some people are there. The ugly. It's the last category. Remember what I shared earlier, Mark 2. Those who are well don't need a physician. Those who are sick, I came to call not the righteous, but sinners or people that are marginalized and ugly. Some people, though, think they are too worthless 
too ugly, too unremarkable, too shunned by everybody else to ever be noticed by God. That's one of the greatest lies that Satan whispers in people's ears. You're not lovely. You're not worth it. God uses people that have their act together, not you. That's not God talking. Jesus came to bring the marginalized and even inside the ugly people, warts and all. He came to beautify you. He came for the downtrodden, the marginalized, the rejected, the outcast. Listen, know this. It's letter A in this last category. You can't be too ugly for God to pick you. You can't be too ugly for God to pick you. Everything's upside down in God's economy. I mean, some, some of us, we're playing dodgeball and you're getting picked. You know, kids can be cruel, right? And they're picking people and they're picking teams. You don't want to be that last one picked, right? And that's what it means to feel like marginalized, like you're not worth anybody. But Jesus, is he would come and he'd play dodgeball and, and he would come and pick teams and he'd pick the very last person first every time. And the hot shots and those were obviously the best players. He would just leave them on. He does things opposite. He looks at the heart and he looks at the potential and he looks at a heart that knows they're not perfect. He came for the sick. Best example in all scripture I can see of on this is Zacchaeus. So turn to our final example, Luke 19. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho, verse 1, 1 through 5, and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not see because he was small in stature. And not just a little short, really short. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him as he was just about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place where he was in the tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up, come down, for I must stay at your house. I love that must thing. There it is again. Did Jesus have to stay at Zacchaeus' house? No, not physically. I'm sure with that huge crowd there, he had a lot of options. And anybody would have loved to have Jesus stay there. But because he wants to do the will of his father and because he came to seek and to save that which was lost and marginalized and hurting and downtrodden, for that reason, he must, because this is the most hurting and marginalized person in the whole crowd. Out of the entire crowd, Jesus picked the most hated, unattractive, puny person. Not only did he pick them, he said, come on down, we're going to spend the day together. I'm leaving the crowd. I'm leaving the herd, and it's going to be you and me. And I hope you make it personal today, Zacchaeus. Because here's your chance. I hope you make it personal today. This was an ugly man. This was a man people didn't like. He's short in stature. That may have been at the root of his problems, but he had a lot of problems. He's not liked. And I believe the reason Zacchaeus was disliked even more so is that he had an attitude problem that comes because you're disliked and picked on. He'd become angry and bitter because of the way people treated him. Why else would a man take a job with such a negative effect on his life? You see, he was a tax collector. And I looked, and no less than eight times in the gospel, we, it is said that people complained about Jesus because he ate with, quote, tax collectors and sinners, unquote. Did you catch that? Oh, oh Jesus can't be right. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. All sin is put in one category, and the super sinners are put in another one, tax collectors. So they're the worst. According to the Jews, you don't get any worse than that. Twice in the Gospels, people complain Jesus eating with tax collectors and harlots. Harlots were women who sold their virtue for money. Apparently, tax collectors are in the same category. They'll sell their soul for money. 
So to 99.9% of Jews, they're the ugliest people on earth because they're working for the Romans and gouging their own brothers and sisters and taking money for themselves. So, cut to the chase, Zacchaeus was cut off from his people and alienated from his God. Doesn't get any uglier than that, does it? And he knows it. He has this in common with the woman of the well. He knows he's bad. Let's just add to that. I'm bad, and I'm ugly, and nobody likes me, so let me just do this. Again, why would he take a job like this? Because nobody cared for him anyway. He's got no shot at being popular or people liking him, so I'll just get rich at their expense. People mistreat me and reject me all day long, my whole life, because of my height. And God obviously doesn't care. See if you've ever thought this way. Because he's the one who made me this way. He's the one who made me this way. It doesn't get any uglier than that. You ever feel that way? Don't tell me God loves me. Look at my life. If he loved me, he wouldn't have made me like this. If he loved me, he wouldn't have let me get in this situation. And we blame God. Nevertheless, Jesus singles him out to spend the day with him. Listen, you can't be too ugly for God to hang out with you. Maybe you think that, but that's a lie from the evil one. You can't be too ugly of a person for God to say, I want to spend as much time with you as you'll have. God loves you, even if you think you're not worthy of that love. Even if you think your life's a train wreck. Even if you think you're too ugly, even if you think you're not skinny enough, even if you think you're not pretty enough, even if you think you're not athletic enough, even if you think you're not smart enough, even if you think you're just ugly as a person, you cannot even imagine, you can't be too ugly for Jesus to not to want to completely love you and hang out with you. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood, now he's at his house, and at his house, Jesus tells him, the truth about his life and where he's at, but that God loves him. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods that I've taken, I'm going to give right now to the poor. And if, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it four times over. And this is the most beautiful, beautiful part of the story right here. Listen. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. You thought you were ugly, Zacchaeus? I left the whole crowd. They don't even know they're lost. I came here, and guess what? I have a gift for you. Today, salvation will come to this house? No, has come. When did that happen? I didn't. Because you see the change in Zacchaeus' heart. Didn't you catch it? You don't have to say an official prayer. It helps some people. If you don't know what to do, I love to help people walk down and, and meet Jesus and hold their hand, but it's got to be you. You have to make it personal. I can't do that for you. So somewhere in there, Zacchaeus realizes that even though he's an ugly person, he's done some ugly things, Jesus still loves him, and his heart changes because he trusts in him, not officially, didn't raise his hand, didn't walk an aisle, didn't stand up. He just changed, and he put his trust in there. And in that moment, he was transformed from ugly to a beautiful person inside. The most beautiful of all transformations. After his encounter with Jesus, he's brand new. Okay, that's it. Three different people, three different herds. And i got to think that even with a crowd here, every single herd is represented. I think everyone is represented. Some of you are here right now, and you think you don't need to be here. You know, I'm just putting in my church thing because I'm fine. Yada, 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 pastor. Here's the deal. I'm a pretty good guy if you get to know me. 
when I get to heaven, I will see those pearly gates. Don't know where it says anything about the pearly gates or Peter manning them, but I'm sure he's there. And when he sees me, he will open the pearly gates because I'm a good person and I will waltz right in. That's how it's going to work because that's what I believe. Good for you. Where'd you get that? From a joke? Somebody told you? Well, that's the only place I've ever really heard that whole scenario. So-and-so and, and three priests and a rabbi get to the pearly gates of heaven and St. Peter is, it's not in the Bible like that. We just kind of make it up, and now people build whole religions on it, whole philosophies about where they're going. If that's you, I hope you realize there's no one good, no not one. That's a false herd and the most dangerous. Others came here this morning. I know they feel dirty. They feel no good. You don't have to remind them. People remind you all the time. You're bad. You know it. You probably came in here and saying, I don't even know why I'm coming to church. They don't want people like me at church. You're wrong. Jesus came for people like you. He loves you. But he loves you too much to leave you like that. And maybe worse, some of you came here and you feel ugly. Like I said, you know, you're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not athletic. You're not okay. I get it. You don't have to tell me. People tell me all the time where I stand. I know. I'm an ugly person. And maybe you think you're too ugly for God. But now you know that you're not. He loves you. He gave himself for you in your place. You're worth it to him. Hopefully you have seen how beautiful and precious you are in the eyes of God. People have been praying for you for this moment that you would see that. Hopefully you've seen that you can't be too ugly to be made beautiful by God. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Maybe you have never seen yourself that way, but that's the way Jesus sees you. Not because you can earn it, because you can't. Remember, there's no one good. But he took your place on the cross. He never sinned. That he paid the penalty for the sin that you committed and that I committed. And if you'll trust him, you know what the Father sees now? Here's why he sees a beautiful person. Because when he looks at you now, he sees his son. And he sees the righteousness that's been transferred to you if you put your trust in him. So some of you in the Bible Belt, you've been doing the good thing. You're a good, faithful person. You go to church at least twice a year, Christmas and Easter, maybe more than that, maybe once a month. You hang out with good people. You don't hang around with the wrong crowd. You don't cuss, drink, smoke, whatever. Follow the rules. You think you're good enough. Hopefully today you saw you need to make it personal with Jesus. You're not good enough. Some of you think you're too bad and you came here today and you're almost ready to give up because you're thinking, I don't want to, I know I'm bad. I don't need to go to church and be reminded about it. Same with the ugly. The marginalized, people that just think, does anybody even know I'm here? Does anybody care if I'm gone? I'm so ugly. How could God notice me? I don't do anything right. God says, oh, you're beautiful. I use people like you to change the world. I'm going to go to you first. I'm going to pick you out of the crowd. And that excites you when you hear that. But that doesn't change you. It's not automatic. That's why today's message is called Personalize. It should have really been the first message in the series because you can't make an impact for God if you don't know him. You got to come home. You got to be adopted. That comes by letting go. Break away from the herd and make a personal this morning. And if you don't know how, here's where that prayer actually comes in. I would be honored to help lead you. Now, I will pray here in just a moment. Everybody bow your heads, close your eyes, make sure they stay that way and if you're here today and you have never made it personal, but you're ready to come home, 
You're tired of, of, of thinking with the herd. You know that herd's going right off a cliff and you don't want to join them. Then break away today. Tell Jesus you're sorry and trust him. And it'll be just like those photographs you saw, like a Polaroid to be transformed before your very eyes. And a work will begin in you. The most beautiful work in the history of the world. That's the greatest miracle that changed life. So if you're ready to come home, let me lead you. I just have one caution. Do not repeat rote words that I say. Talk to God. If it helps, look up. This is not between you and the person next to you. It's not between you and me. And, and This is just between you and God. Break away. Talk to Jesus now. Let's pray. In your heart, silently after me. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life in my place. I know today I'm not good enough. I know today I'm, I, I, I'm not so bad you don't love me. I'm not too ugly that you won't pick me. But I do have to be convicted for conversion, and I am, Lord. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Forgive me for my sin. And Lord, come into my life. I trust you as Savior. I reach out to grab your hand. Invade my life. Wash it clean. Make me a new person inside. Thank you for saving me, Lord. God, I, I don't understand this at all. But I believe you. I already feel the change taking place. I want to follow you now the rest of my life. All the days of my life now belong to you. For it's in your name I pray for the first time, understanding and meaning it. Jesus. Amen. Keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. One last thing remains. And what I'm about to ask you to do does not save you. But Jesus said, Paul said this, uh, he said that if anyone, Jesus said, if anyone denies me before men, I'll deny him before the Father. Now, why would he do something like that? Because he's saying, if it's real and you were really talking to me and you meant it, you'll want people to know about the change. Like the Samaritan woman, you won't care. You'll go out and tell people. So the least of it is you'll, tell, you'll identify yourself. If you won't identify yourself, I'll be the first one to be honest with you. You probably didn't mean it. Jesus doesn't want secret admirers. So I'm going to give you a chance to make it concrete. I'm going to give you a chance to identify yourself. I'll count to three, and, and I've done this for years. When I get to three, I just want you to raise your hand boldly, high to the heavens, and just keep it there, and proudly say, I prayed that. I meant it. I'm saved. Because we want to celebrate that. But you must identify yourself. It's just part of it. You ready? One, two, three. Raise your hand if you prayed that prayer. Raise it high. I see several hands out there. You are not alone. If you prayed that and you meant that, keep your hand high. By the way, someone's going to come by and give you a gift. Don't worry about that. It's not the time to worry about embarrassment. Jesus reached down and transformed you, and you're proud of that. You're proud to identify with Jesus Christ. Is there anybody else? Raise your hand and raise it high. See several folks out there. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. 
and the rest of you can open your eyes and celebrate with me, new brothers and sisters in Christ. As our... Amen. By the way, by the way, 1,100 churches in Charlotte and the surrounding area, we have no, no desire to reshuffle the deck, gang. We're not, we don't exist to move people around from other churches. My hope and prayer is that our church will grow that way you just saw. The people will come in, meet Christ, or meet Christ out there through your witness and testimony, and we will grow the way the church in the second chapter of Acts grew, by new conversion. It's the best, healthiest, most alive, vibrant way to grow. I love celebrating these things. My favorite kind of service. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the harvest today. Lord, we're faithful in what you called us to do. We put the net out there and pulled it back. And Father, you adopted sons and daughters today. And we thank you for them. Lord, help them to know that they have a place to grow. Help them to take serious the gift they got, the Bible, the Word. And Lord, they're at a fragile place right now, brand new baby Christians. And we're a church that's going to wrap our arms around them and help them grow and take them by the hand, Lord. I pray that they will not walk away and take some sort of false get-out-of-hell-free card, Lord, but they'll come back and dive in deep and grow now. Because that's also part of our mission as disciples and followers of you, that they will look more like you next week than they did this week and for the rest of their life. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us. See you next week.